Welcome back to a story of Fabry disease in Australia. The story so far, Fabry disease is a rare but treatable genetic disease for which early detection and therapeutic intervention provide positive outcomes. We continue now with part two of the series in examining the state of Fabry disease in Australia. So I'd like to welcome you to the second podcast on Fabry disease. My name's Andrew Kornberg. I'm a paediatric neurologist at the Children's Hospital in Melbourne. And I'm Carolyn Alloway. I'm a paediatrician, clinical geneticist, metabolic physician with the Sydney Children's Hospital Network. And that encompasses the Children's Hospital at Westmead and also Sydney Children's Hospital. Welcome. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about Fabry disease in Australia. So Carolyn, um, what's the state of uh, Fabry disease in in Australia uh, at the moment, but more in particular about screening and detection. And uh, we'll talk about some real world examples as we go along. Yeah, so um, Fabry disease in Australia, we estimate the incidence of this condition to be around about one in 40,000. So it is a rare disorder. Um, I believe that there's an increasing awareness of this and other rare disorders amongst not only paediatricians, but paediatric subspecialists and other um, medical specialists. But we still have a long way to go in educating our colleagues into Fabry disease. Um, at the moment, I think we are still under-diagnosing patients. Um, and unfortunately, that leads to delays in not only the diagnosis, but initiation of specific therapies for Fabry disease. So just in Australia, what sort of um, presentations uh, do patients have uh, when they go and see their doctor? The onset of Fabry disease is often in childhood with the early signs and symptoms being recurrent uh, episodes of pain what we describe as acroparesthesia in the peripheries, particularly in the hands and the feet. And children will often describe this pain as a burning sensation um, or a tingling or nagging pain that occurs episodically. It can be triggered by stimuli such as heat, exercise, intercurrent illnesses, but also stress. Other features early on in children include recurrent abdominal symptoms, which can include abdominal pain, abdominal bloating, nausea, sometimes vomiting. Some children suffer with intermittent episodes of constipation. Some have intermittent episodes of diarrhoea. So it sounds very much like uh, the symptoms can be quite nonspecific in childhood and it really is incumbent on the doctor to think of the diagnosis and um, once upon a time one of my mentors said you'll never diagnose anything unless you think of that actual condition. I guess that actually holds true for Fabry disease. It certainly does. If you have non-specific symptoms uh, we know that in uh, females who are carriers of Fabry disease they can have symptoms as well. Have you had any experience that there hasn't been a diagnosis of Fabry disease, but on family history, there may be some issues with kidney problems or hearing issues or early stroke, and the 
parent is ultimately diagnosed? Uh, I am certainly aware of cases like that where a child has been the first in the family to be diagnosed with Fabry disease only for a parent then to be found to have either some renal impairment um, or, you know, a history, particularly in the females, often they do complain of um, recurrent abdominal symptoms and it's always been put down to irritable bowel syndrome. So certainly that does occur as well. So I guess the message is, uh, as is the case in paediatrics, you take a history in the child, but you also take a very good family history and look for symptoms in other individuals. Absolutely. And the important thing about the family history is not everyone will necessarily have the same signs or symptoms. So it's important to think about the various manifestations of Fabry disease and ask specifically about those in other children in the family, but also at adults, particularly if there's um, early renal um, impairment, particularly renal failure, dialysis, uh, unexplained stroke in young adults. Cardiac manifestations can be quite varied in Fabry disease and can range from uh, cardiac arrhythmias, valvular disease, left ventricular hypertrophy, and some can have quite significant cardiac arrhythmias. And they may or may not be present in more than one individual in the family. Now, so just with your comments about... uh, how non-specific many of these symptoms could be, um, it would suggest that patients are falling through the cracks. How do you think uh, um, we should, as paediatricians, provide information, educate people so they don't fall through the cracks? That's a challenge. And I think our role is to educate our colleagues about Fabry disease. I think if we can at least raise the awareness even amongst a few of our colleagues and then they can also continue to raise the awareness within their individual teams or subspecialty groups. Um, Just getting back to um, how do we test for it? I mean, uh, it is relatively simple, but what's your experience? It can be a little bit challenging actually establishing a diagnosis, but the first thing to do is to actually measure the activity of the enzyme alpha-galactosidase. That can be measured in um, leukocytes, but also the enzyme can actually be measured on a dry blood spot card. And that's helpful for paediatricians who might live in rural communities that don't have access to big laboratories that can prepare and transport a leukocyte preparation to the National Referral Laboratory where they measure the enzyme activity. We can also measure a biomarker of Fabry disease called LysoGB3 and that's a plasma uh, sample. We're lucky. We uh, work in tertiary quaternary centres in Sydney and Melbourne. Is this testing available to everyone in the um, remote regions of Australia? Yeah, so there's kits available for paediatricians um, and subspecialists in their rooms. And if they, even if they don't have that kit, there is um, information available on the Sanofi Genzyme website and we'll provide that link as part of the information um, related to this podcast where a clinician can go to, download a request form, give it to the family um, or patient and that 
can be taken to a local pathology collection service. Blood will get collected onto um, the dry blood spot card and that card will be sent to the National Referral Laboratory for measurement of the enzyme activity. So it really sounds like there's really no barrier if you think of the diagnosis, making the diagnosis wherever you are in Australia. Absolutely. I guess the only caveat is just the sometimes the difficulty in establishing a diagnosis in a female purely based on enzyme activity. And if there is an index of suspicion, that person should be referred um, for genetic testing. We talked about if we make a diagnosis in, some, in a patient and there'll be five other patients uh, identified in the family. How is that actually done? So the way we would do that is we would firstly make a diagnosis in an individual um, biochemically and then look for um, the mutational pathogenic variant within the Fabry disease gene, the GLA gene. Once we've got that information, it's actually relatively easy to then test not only males but also females for that genetic variant. And wherever the family member may live, they would get a referral from their general practitioner to a genetic service. Um, genetic counselling will be provided for that particular individual and the genetic service would then organise genetic testing. Let's just say someone thinks of the diagnosis, Can, where would they refer their patient? So um, in each state of Australia, apart from uh, Tasmania and the Northern Territory, there are what we consider centres of excellence. Um, it's usually part of a genetic or genetic metabolic service where there are clinicians that have expertise in diagnosing and managing patients with Fabry disease. So there is information about um, the various sites on the Fabry Association website where patients can be referred uh, to these um, specialists who are experienced in managing Fabry disease. Okay, so I guess uh, in one way we've, we've got the doctor who thinks of the diagnosis, makes the diagnosis on a, um, from further testing, and then that leads on to treatment. Where is the treatment usually done? Okay, so if we're talking specific um, Fabry disease-related yep. treatment, such as enzyme replacement therapy, it's initially done in one of the centres of excellence where there's a lot of experience with enzyme replacement therapy. Enzyme replacement therapy uh, for Fabry disease is given by an intravenous infusion once per fortnight. It's given in hospital for at least the first six months because we need to make sure that the um, drug is well tolerated, that there's no side effects or other adverse reactions associated with the product. Once we're comfortable that the patient um, is tolerating the infusions well, then we can look at transferring the care to a, either a hospital closer to the patient's home and there's also home infusion programs as well where the infusion can actually be given by a nurse coming into the home. So that makes it a lot easier for families. So it sounds very much as though uh, no patient with Fabry disease who requires treatment is disadvantaged. Initially, they will have treatment in a centre of excellence, but then if they tolerate their medications, they could be transferred closer to home. Yes, that's correct. 
Now, you mentioned uh, that um, the Northern Territory and Tasmania do not have centres of excellence. I know that the Tasmanian patients usually come to Victoria. Where do the patients in the Northern Territory go? So it depends where exactly in the Northern Territory they live. The northern part of the Northern Territory, patients would be referred to Queensland, to Brisbane. Um, the southern part of the Northern Territory, patients would be referred to Adelaide. Now, how is this funded? So enzyme replacement therapy is expensive. Um, it is currently regulated and funded by the Australian Life Saving Drugs Program. So patients do need to fulfil certain eligibility criteria before um, they can have access to enzyme replacement therapy. So if they do fulfil the eligibility criteria, the federal government will fund enzyme replacement therapy. Great. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us about this important discussion on Fabry disease. For more information about blood testing kits, please visit sanofigenzymeonline.com.au forward slash pathology forms forward slash PDF and see our notes for resources and links. Please join us next time as we continue to explore Fabry disease through a patient's journey. And remember, Fabry disease is rare, but your screening practice doesn't have to be.